Uh, if you're here today and, and you're not yet a follower of Jesus Christ, or if you're kicking the tires of Christianity is what we like to call it, or, you know, and I hope you feel that hope is a place where you can do that. We've designed it to be a place like that. Same time, just like anybody, including myself, we want to challenge you to go further and, and know, know God better. But if you're here and you're just like, I don't know anything about the Bible, I don't know anything about who Christ is, why do people get together, this whole thing's a mystery to me, I, I want to kind of let you in on a little bit of what it means to be a follower of Jesus before you do it. Because I feel like we bait and switch sometimes, people, you know. Come on in, come on in, it's easy. Then you come in, it's like, whoa, man, this is, this is, this is tricksy. Master lies to us, you know. I mean, this is, this is hard stuff. And so I want to let you know a little bit about what it's going to cost you. Uh, so you understand. And for those of you who have been a follower of Jesus maybe for 75 years or whatever, I want to remind you of what it's, what it like, what it's like to be a follower of Jesus Christ. It, it, it requires at least three things. The first of which is a change of mind. There's, there's a certain type of right thinking you need to have. You have right doctrine, whatever you want to call it. There's, there's a mindset that needs to change so that your mind is set according to the ways and things of the Bible. These are not necessarily any order, so you can do these in any order. So I'm just saying there's like three legs of a triangle. The second one is right living. You're ethical. You have integrity. You live, you live consistently with what the Bible talks about a follower of Jesus should look like. And we all struggle with that. And we all struggle with right thinking. We all struggle with the last one, which is a right heart. Having, having love, having what I would call pure motives. Now, I don't mean to shatter your bubble, but you and I have never had a pure motive in our entire life, okay? But at least, are they good motives? Are they motives that I start to feel like I, I have the right ideas why I'm doing this? I'm not manipulating people. I'm not trying to get something from God by doing these things. I have all these, these characteristics. These are traditionally known as three things that a Christian, what it means to be a follower of Jesus, looks like. Now, that, that is it, basically, in a nutshell. We, we, we call this in our leadership development program... Who's an LDI person here? Where are any LDIers? Got to be at least one. Where are the grunt interns now? Huh? There we go. What are the three elements there, Andy, of, of the LDI program? Biblical thinking, Christ-like character, and ministry skills. Thank you, Andy. We did not, we've never met before, have we? We've not talked about this. You just knew that, and it's been drilled into his brain. So the idea is that's what it means to be a leader. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. So if you're thinking about it, that's what it's going to cost. It's going to cost all those things. Now, how do you do that? How do you really do that? If you're just, you have good doctrine, but you have no love, you're a prick. Pardon my French, but you are. You're just a jerk. Have you ever been around people like that that just correct you about everything you think? If, you're, if you live right, but you don't have good doctrine, you don't have good love, you're known as a legalist, a hypocrite, a Pharisee. If you're someone who is, has a, you're real lovey-dovey, you have right motives and you're just lovey, but you don't have the right thinking or you're just a marshmallow. you got to have all of these things. you got to have all these things. How do you do that? That's not easy. That's very complicated. Like I've often said to people, when they, like after service, some people come and say, I want to start a relationship with Christ. And I will ask them, and if you come today, I will ask you, are you sure? Because before I was a Christian, it was a lot easier to just get another beer. Now, when things come up, i got to care about them. i got to be concerned about them. I, there's things in my world that, that deeply touch me, and i got to think about them. i gotta, I got to pray about them. It was easier just to go grab another beer. 
do you, are you sure? How do you do all this? It's complicated. It's hard. It's tricky. It's the normal Christian life. It's one of struggle. Today, we're going to talk about how to tie all those together. There actually is a secret in what the power source is in how those come all together. And since you came today, and not for anybody else, I'm going to tell you the secret. Huh? Huh? We're in John chapter 15. If you want to open your Bible, open it up to John chapter 15. We are in a series in the Gospel of John. Uh, we have been in it longer than it took John to write the gospel, which maybe is not a good thing. I don't know. We will be done by uh, the end of this summer. So those of you who are here as a, a student, next week is finals week. So I, I know what that's like. You may or may not be here. I've fully, that's all good. But you may not be back here until finals week, and that'll be our last, scheduled-wise, that'll be our last week in the gospel of John. So my encouragement to you is just read the rest of it. It'll kind of probably go just as well. So, and we're, on the, we're online too. You can do that too for Cor and I during the summer. We're right in the middle of John chapter 15. Starting in John chapter 13, Jesus is having his discussion on his last night. It's Thursday night with his disciples. Friday, he's going to be crucified. He's going to go through, uh, late Thursday night, he's going to be arrested. He's going to go through trials. On, on Friday, he's going to go through more trials. Tr- uh, trials like law, Nate, kind of law trials, not trials like trials. But I guess he had trials too. Anyway, the, uh, the, uh, the caffeine's kicking in here, sorry. The, then, the, then the evening, he's, later that evening, he's going to be crucified, and on Sunday he's going to raise again. The Gospel of John takes from John chapter 12 through 20, middle of 20, to go through just those days. It takes a long time to just get through that. And he goes through it almost like the show 24, in real time. Events are happening in real time here, so as we're reading them. Now, in John chapter 14, if you remember, Jesus said, I, uh, he said, I go to prepare a place for you. So he's telling his disciples about what does it mean that he's going to go prepare a place for them, what that's going to look like. We talked about this two weeks ago, about that he's going to go actually restore the Garden of Eden for you. And then he says this famous phrase in John chapter 14, verse 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Awesome statement. He's preparing them for something by giving them a future orientation of what they're going to be going through. What we're going to learn today is not about a future orientation at all. It is about how do you live life right now, right here as a follower of Jesus Christ. How do you do that? All right. Here we go. John chapter 15, starting in verse 1. I'm going to read the first four verses. We're going to kind of look at this analogy. Jesus is a genius, which, of course, uh, should be the understatement of the day. Jesus is a genius. He's giving an analogy, and it is an awesome one. So we're going to kind of unpack these first four verses for a little while. He says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Now, let's just start it off. Jesus says that I'm the true, I'm the vine. There's this analogy going on. He uses this phrase, I am the true vine. I am something. He's used that combination of I am something. This is the seventh time. This is the last time in the Gospel of John he's going to use a big analogy. Here are the first ones. The first one's in John chapter 6. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. John 6, 35, 
I'm the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry. And he who believes in me will never be thirsty. It works about this time of the day, getting right up towards lunch. You know, got that little gurgles going. Jesus said, I'm bread, man. I'm bread. You will not be hungry. There's something in your body, in your soul, that wants to deeply be satisfied, and it's Christ that's the answer. Second thing he says, he says, I am the light of the world. He says, when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. In other words, if you've ever been in a place where it's very, very dark, can't even see your hand in front of your face, Jesus says, your experience will never be like that again. You will never be completely lost. Now, I'm not trying to say Jesus won't take you through dark times. He he will, but there will be some, some semblance of illumination. I am the light of the world. I give meaning and purpose to life. You're not wandering around aimlessly. Third thing, I am the door. A better translation would be I'm the gate. Jesus is using this in the metaphor of a sheep gate. And he's the one that will lay down at night in front of where the opening was so the sheep will not escape and get hurt. He is your protector. Therefore, Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. Fourth, uh, let's see, fourth. Fourth is I'm the good shepherd. He's using that same illustration there in John chapter 10. And he says, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Don't, don't lose that beautiful analogy. Christ is saying, I'm the, one who I, I'm the one taking care of the sheep, and if necessary, I will die for them. And guess what? It was necessary. The symbol on my right here, the cross, I laid on my life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd who owns the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep, runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. Sixth, he says, and we looked at this in John chapter 14. We talked about this. I am the way and the truth and the life. If you're, if you're confused about where you are, what's happening in life, upside-downness of it, Jesus says, I'm the way. If you've been so lied to by life and by people and by circumstances, Jesus says, I'm the life. Or excuse me, I'm, I'm the truth. And if you just feel like I'm depleted, I have no energy, I have no source, I have nothing that will rise me up, invigorate me, Jesus Christ says, I'm the life. Those seven, oh, excuse me, those six, plus the one we're going to see today, I am the true vine, John 15, those, those things right there are enough. If you walked in here and you knew nothing about Christ beforehand, those seven I am statements are enough for you to go, give me more. Man, I want to follow Christ. I want to know him. He's going to satisfy everything that I could possibly want. This time he's talking about this last of the seven statements about I am. I am the true vine. So that's what Jesus says. Now, I'm guessing. This is totally a guess, all right? So this is free and it's worth every penny. The... The, uh, as Jesus says in the end of John chapter 14, he says, John 14, 31, which both Cor and Chris, you know, our sister church down in Hiawatha, they both cracked jokes about this on Monday in our staff meeting, who said, my favorite verse of that passage was John 14, 31. Come now, let us leave. So uh, it's kind of interesting. It's like just stuck in there. John 14, all this talk. And then he just says, let's leave. And then he just starts talking again in John chapter 15. Now, I'm going to make an assumption, which I think is true, that the Bible doesn't make a whole lot of mistakes. So, hello, anyone? Okay. I agree. Everybody? uh, Thank you. Thank you. So, that verse is put there for a reason, which means, I think, that they're no longer in the upper room. He says, let's leave. I think they're leaving. All right? 
I think it's a fair assumption, right? Yeah, I know. I went to public school on the Iron Range, so just bear with me for a minute. So they're leaving. As they're going, it is not unreasonable, not in the passage, but I don't think it's unreasonable to think that they walked by some vegetation somewhere. Possibly a vineyard, possibly a, a vineyard that would give grapes or some other type of tree that had leaves and a branch. I don't, and, and Jesus, being the master teacher he is, would look at that and say, I am the true vine. Now, even if he didn't, they knew what vegetation looks like, I think. So, Jesus, being the master teacher he is, used this example to make a point. And he says this, number one, I am the true vine. When he, and he says, and my father's the gardener. We'll get to that part in just a second. When he says, I'm the true vine, that, that would trigger something in their minds that doesn't get triggered in ours. If they, they all, the, these 11 guys, remember Judas has already split to go and betray Christ. Those 11 guys that are left, they were Jewish. And they knew parts of the Old Testament that are just to us are kind of fuzzy. But to them, they would have known it. They would have known this concept of vineyard. It's throughout the whole Old Testament. There's this idea. It's repeated in Psalms and in, 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 the, in the prophets. And I'm just, let me just read one of them. It would just give you an idea of this idea. Uh, Isaiah chapter 5. He's giving an analogy again. He's going to use the analogy of a vineyard. He says, I will sing for the one I love a song about his vineyard. My loved one had a vineyard on a fertile hillside. So you can picture this now. It's this hillside, fertile hillside. He dug it up, cleared it of stones, and planted it with the choicest vines. He built a watchtower in it and cut out a wine press as well. Then he looked for a crop of good grapes, but it yielded only bad fruit. Okay, so it's not unreasonable for this person. It's going to turn out to be God. Sorry, spoiler alert there. But it, 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 God is the one who's the, the one who owns this, the gardener. He's coming, and he is the one who plants this, and he's the one who takes care of it, and he's the one who comes back at harvest time and expects to, mmm, good grapes. Instead, he grabs the grape, throws his mouth, mmm, ah, sour, yuck, gross, mildew. Disgusting, bad fruit. Now, he's going to explain the, the metaphor. Now, you dwellers in Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. In other words, judge between me and my vineyard. If you go and get bad fruit, just stay in the analogy, don't push the analogy, but if you, if you go and get bad fruit, bad fruit, there's something wrong with either the guy taking care of it or the vineyard. Make sense? Okay, the guy taking care of it didn't do his job. Or there's something wrong with the vineyard. And he says, let's figure out which one it is. Verse 4, what more could have been done for my vineyard than I have done for it? Whew. One of the most convicting verses in the Bible, I think. Is there anything more I possibly could have done so that people would have come towards me? Answer, no. What more could God Almighty do? Nothing. Nothing. When I looked for good grapes, why did it yield only bad? Guess what? It's the vineyard's problem. Now I will tell you what I am going to do to my vineyard. I will take away its hedge, and because I take away its hedge, it will be destroyed. I'll break down its wall, and it will be trampled by all kinds of beasts and animals. I will make it a wasteland, neither pruned nor cultivated, and briars and thorns will grow there. I will command the clouds not to rain on it. 
And then he explains it clearly. The vineyard of the Lord is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah are the garden of his delight. Isn't that interesting, that phrase, of his delight? In other words, this is breaking his heart to have to see his vineyard go through this. The people, his chosen people in the Old Testament, Israel, he says, if so turned away from me, I'm going to have to discipline them, I'm going to take this away, and it's going to be trampled. And he looked for justice, but he saw bloodshed. So he came back looking for good fruit. What did he see? Look, look for justice, good fruit. He found, instead he found bloodshed. He looked for righteousness, but heard cries of distress, how they were relating to one another. Now that's the analogy they would have picked up. Jesus comes along and says something radical. He says, guess what? I'm the vine. He doesn't say I'm the vineyard. He just says I'm the vine. Second thing about the analogy. The second thing about the secret of the Christian life is my father's the gardener. My father is the gardener. And listen what the gardener does. Verse 2. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be made even more fruitful. In other words, the gardener's the one. He's a perfect gardener. If God Almighty's your gardener, he's doing great. There's no thing, nothing wrong at all with his gardening skills. He's very good. What does he do? He gets rid of the stuff that can, that can cause disease or whatever, and there's, there's branches that are not. They're dead branches that got to go. Now, I'll just back up here because everyone's going to ask this question. Uh, wait a minute now. Are you telling me that if, if people are the branches, and they are, we'll see that in just a minute, people are the branches, that God actually cuts people out? Um... There's, this is a very controversial thing on what this passage really says. And I'm going to say kind of a silly one here, but I don't think that's what the passage is talking about. Every time, every time you use an analogy, you have to be careful to not go beyond the analogy because analogies are not the real thing. It's like the guy who said, I'm going to make a map so real that it's actual size. Hello, you know, <laughs> what good is that? You know, it's, it's the real thing. So analogies are meant to be part of the truth. And what's the truth here? I'm the vine. My father's the gardener. He prunes, he takes out, and you're the branches. We'll see how this all plays out in a minute. Is this answering the question, what happens to people when they don't? No. I don't, I don't believe so. I think there's other passages we could look at for that issue, but I don't think this is the, the primary one. He, what does he do? He prunes. He cleans up branches that are, are doing well, and those who aren't, he cuts off. Because we're going to find out in just a second, John 15, 5, that apart from Christ, apart from the vine, you can do nothing. Look at verse 3. Who are we in this analogy? And this is this, the third part of the secret of the Christian life. You are already clean. That word clean is very similar to pruned. You are already pruned because of the word I have spoken to you. And here it is, man. If you've got a Bible, underline this puppy. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. There it is. That's the secret. That's it. Remain in him. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. If you want the great Christian secret of how to be a follower of Jesus Christ, there it is. Remain in him, and I in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must Remain in the vine. Nor can you bear fruit, neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Now, it's going to make it very clear there. Who are we? We're the branches. What's going to happen? Branches are there. The main job of a branch in the morning, when it wakes up, the, the main thing it says to itself is, 
stay in the vine. Right? Don't leave the tree, man. You got a windstorm going? Hmm, I feel like being blown away. Maybe I'll just fly off. Don't do that. If you're a branch, hang on. That's the number one thing you do. You hang on to the tree because a branch without a tree is dead. Thank you. I couldn't think of a quick, that's, that's as good as it gets. Yeah, it's done. Right? They're just done. And my yard is full of those. I'm, I'm on one of those streets in South Minneapolis, the old growth, where you drive down my street and you look up in the summertime, it's just a tunnel. You know what I mean? It's got the big trees that are all over everywhere. We have one of those big old trees. During the storms, boom, landed on top of my neighbor's house. Think of that whole tree as a branch that's not hanging into the root system. What is a branch or a tree that just leans up against the house? Firewood. It's not good as a tree anymore. What's the main job? The first thing is, is to stay in the vine. Remain, remain. Wake up in the morning and say, today I'm going to remain. Mostly branches just say nothing because they just are in the branch, in the tree. It's not that complicated. It's incredibly simple. And yet it's very, very difficult. Look at verse 5. I am the vine... You are the branches. Get that clear. I am the vine. You are the branches. I am the vine. I am the one who has the the sap coming into it. The the root system comes up through me. All the nutrients come up through the the trunk. They come up and you are our branch. That's it. You're a branch. You're a big tube. That's it. And what you're doing is you're taking the support system out for me and you're bringing it out here and then eventually out is going to come Bananas or whatever fruit you want there. That's the point. The point is, you're not the fruit. You're not the tree. You're not the vine. You are a branch. Now, you might be saying, that is so obvious. I can't believe I'm sitting here. (laughs) No, it is not. No, it is not. No, it is not. I meet with pastors all the time. And one of the biggest struggles we have as pastoring is remembering, I'm a stinking branch. I'm not the tree. Jesus is the tree. You wake up in the morning, Jesus, you're the tree. I'm a branch. When people come to me and say, man, that was a good message. I really, God really used that in my life. I say, you know what I am? I am a straw that the Holy Spirit blows through. You got blue on. It's better than being suck, I guess, you know, whatever. <laughs> That's it. That's what you are. You're a tube. You're not the fruit either. Well, some of you are. No, they... You're, you're, you're not fruit. Don't look at your life and say, look at my fruit, because you're not a fruit. You're a branch. All right, I, I know, I'm, I'm preaching now, I'm sorry. I guess that's what I'm doing now, yes, that's okay. Um, look at the three ifs then. I want you to look at the three if-thens in there, what's coming up now. First one, if a man remains in me and I in him, guess what? You will bear fruit. You will live a life that those three elements are happening in your life in such a way that the outside world will be attracted to you. That you will bear fruit of joy in your life. You will have all the fruit of the Spirit from Galatians 5. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And the ability to memorize Galatians 5, I guess. All that will be given to you. That's what it is. That will happen to you. It's not an if-then with any asterisks. It will. If you remain, this stuff will happen. Secondly, if anyone does not remain in me, he's like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown to the fire, and burned. 
If you forget that you're a branch, you're not going to get life. And those elements that we talked about, about the Christian life, are going to be burdensome. They're not going to be fruit. All you're going to be thinking about is, I've got to push fruit out. Mm. <laughs> Imagine a branch that's laying on the ground saying, mm, grow, grow banana, grow. And that's what they're thinking about. I'm serious now. <laughs> it's very true. Third thing, look at the last one. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. Whoa! Listen to that. If you're in that kind of relationship with Jesus Christ, a, 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 a mystical reunion with him where the personal relationship with Christ is what it's all about. It's not about good doctrine, living right, and having just pure motives. There's something about licking your fingers and sticking them in the outlet of God where Jesus Christ through a personal relationship moves in your life. If you're living like that, he says something. Ask me and guess what? You're going to get it. Whoa. That is radical. This last weekend we, we had our 24 hours of prayer here. I love, this is our since 2003, three, four, five, six, fifth year of doing this. And uh, I've been doing these crazy uh, three o'clock to four o'clock. I'm getting too old for this, by the way. But the three to four drive, we I put as many people as want to go and, and we drive around. This year it was Jesse Splant and I. And, and we drove around. And we drove around here. And then we drove around the, the U, of, U of M campus. And, uh, and I, I love that time. I think there are people, we had every slot covered for 24 hours. Some multiple and I think, oh my goodness. You know, you know how fun it is to preach on a day after? You know, people have been praying for 24 hours? Wow, what's God going to do in our city, in our world? Because people came and asked him, and guess what God loves to give? He loves to answer that stuff. Jesse and I were all driving around, and, and I got pulled over by a cop. And, uh, and my son Calvin asked me, he said, were you driving too fast? It was actually the opposite. We were going so slow, and pulling in all these parking lots and praying, at 3 o'clock in the morning, 3.30 in the morning, this cop's thinking, what are you, Al-Qaeda or something or what? <laughs> Comes up, flashes, puts his flashlight in my face, says, what is going on? And uh, I said, well, we're actually just out praying. <laughs> I, I did pass the breathalyzer too, just if you're wondering. Um, <laughs> no, 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 no. I just said, our church prays for 24 hours. And uh, we are we are out right now. We're just driving around. We're praying for the for the city and for the for we just had, we just had gotten done praying for the cops uh, because because he was following us. I guess maybe that was <laughs> the reason. And uh, had a special heart for what they do for our city and all those kind of things. Um, and, and God just delights in in answering those prayers. Now, I need to say this again. I want you to just reiterate back to me. Let's get this straight, because that's the point of the whole analogy. Who's the vine? Sunday school answer? Jesus. Jesus. Very nice. Who's the gardener? God the Father. He'll prune. He will prune. And there are times in your life when pruning, owie. Because you thought that was a live little nub over there, and that little nub that needed to get pruned was not live. That was something that was prohibiting you from continuing growth. And so El Snippo, for those of you who speak Spanish. Uh, who are the branches? Us. We're the branches. How does fruit come? It's a result of remaining in the vine. You are not your fruit. You are not your fruit. You are a branch. Keep the analogy straight. Jesus is the vine. Father is the gardener. You're the branch. The fruit is something that God does through you. After you wake up in the morning and you say, 
Remain in the vine. Stay in the tree. The second thing you should be thinking about is, my job today as a good tree is to suck as much sap as I possibly can. You are just a sap sucker. That's what you're doing. That's what your job is. As a branch, as a good branch, what do good branches do? They suck. And that's what you need to do. Okay. Why do you do all this? Verse 8. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourself to be my disciples. You want God to get glory in your life? You want God to get glory in your life? Be a good branch. If you're a good branch, you stay it, you, you remain, and you suck. If you do that, the fruit will come. When the fruit comes, people will see a branch, but they'll see the fruit on the end of the branch and go, that is an awesome tree. Right? Nobody looks at a, I don't look out front and, you know, see a beautiful tree, like a flowering crab or something and say, wow, look at that branch. I look and go, what a cool tree. Lilac trees, you guys got lilacs? I got them coming up. Mm, 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 mm. That smell has a wonderful thing, especially when you got a house full of three boys. So you got something that smells good coming at you in the backyard. There's a lilac tree back there. And I look at it and I don't say, what neat branches. No, I say, what a great tree. What a great God. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Now, Jesus is going to get intensely practical here. He says, verse 9, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Look at the analogy. Father loving the Son, the Son loving you all, the exact same love. Whoa, that's intense. It's going to get worse or more intense. Now remain, there's that word remain again, in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's command and remain in His love. So in other words, there's something tied in here about love and obedience. And they're different things. Of course they are. One's a motive and one is an action. Of course they're different. He says the same thing with the Father's love, but it's tied in together. He says, I have told you this so that, and here it is, my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Those of you who think the Christian life is a drag, you, got, you don't know the secret. The secret is remaining in the vine. Why? When you do that, you get fruit. What's one of them? Joy. I'm talking joy. Happiness. Pfft, joy. My command is this. He says, you want to follow my commands? Here it is. Whew. The bar is up high. Love each other as I have loved you. Oh, man. The same way Jesus Christ loved you, we're supposed to love one of the other people in this room. You're supposed to love them like that. Greater love, verse 13, greater love has no one than this, than he lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends for everything that I learned from my Father I have made known to you. Do you see that relationship there? This is with Almighty God. Jesus Christ, the Messiah, says you're my friends because I've let you know everything you need to know. You still need to obey him. But he's your friend. Jesus Christ, the, the one who died and rose again, is your friend. That is crazy talk. But it's in the Bible, so I believe it. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit. Fruit that will last. Hear that now. Do you understand how, I, I know that involves predestination. I hope you're into predestination. I hope it blows your mind. You shouldn't be able to figure it out. It, your gasket blows, okay? How does God do that? I don't know. 
I have no idea. But I do know that he does it. And it's meant to be an encouraging thing. Okay? So I'm going to push the analogy here and you're going to go, that doesn't work. But let me push it. Like you're in dodgeball, you know, and the, and the kids were chosen for dodgeball. And God Almighty's on one side and I don't know who's on the other side, somebody else. And God chooses you to be on his team and not last. Okay? So he chooses you. <laughs> that blesses you. Wow, I got chosen. I got chosen to be on the team. That's what he's saying here. Remember this. I love you so much, I chose you. I chose, I wanted you on my team. That's how much I love you. I appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Why do, you, why do you plant a vineyard at all? You do it to bear fruit. But remember, you're not the fruit. You're the branch. Then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Wow, there it is again. I don't think we ask enough. I don't think we ask big enough if we're hanging on to the vine. Ask big. This is my command. Love each other. I want to close this morning by asking you one question. Simple. I don't care where you're at in your journey with Christ. I don't, it doesn't make any difference to me. Whether this is the first time you've ever heard the Bible at all, or whether this is 75 years of following Jesus, question is simple. Are you a sap sucker? Are you someone who is getting your life from Jesus? You, you know, you can do those three things we talked about and no more be a follower of Jesus Christ than someone who's completely walking away if you're not a sap sucker. Completely. Well, those, are, those are good things. Those things I mentioned in the beginning. Right living, right doctrine, and, and right heart. Those are great things. But if you're not a sap sucker and it's not about Jesus, it's not about a personal relationship with Jesus, the risen Christ, it's not Christianity. It's a religion. And Christianity is not a religion. It's a relationship. Are you a sap sucker? Now you're saying to me, well, that's the Gospels. The Gospels are all under this relationship thing. Paul, I like Paul. The guy who wrote those epistles, he writes those things and they're just a bunch of rules that we should follow and, and they're also a bunch of uh, uh, doctrine that we choose to believe. And Paul wasn't at all interested with a personal relationship with Christ. <laughs> Philippians chapter 3, and I close with this. It's the Apostle Paul's real heart. He says this. He's talking about his life before. And Paul, before he was a follower of Jesus, had great biblical truth. He, he knew the Bible. As much of it as it existed at that time. All of it. Genesis to Malachi. The whole Old Testament. He knew. Very, very well. He also had fairly good motives in what he was trying to do things for God. But he says, without this idea of Christ being central, without this idea of being me the branch and him the vine, it was nothing. Here's what he says. But whatever was to my profit beforehand as a religion, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. I consider them rubbish, that I, may be, that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from following the rules or from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. And here it is. I want to know Christ. And the power of his resurrection coursing through my veins. Power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings becoming like him in his death. And so somehow to attain to the resurrection of the, from the dead. Not that I've already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do. Forgetting what is behind and straining towards what, what is ahead. <coughs> I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenwards in Christ Jesus. 
Are you a sapsucker? Are you Christ-centered? I'm going to invite you to do something this morning. We're going to have we're time of worship and communion. We have the communion table down front here, and there'll be one in the back, and there's two upstairs. If you're here this morning, and this is brand new to you, and you'd like to become a Christ follower, I want to invite you to come forward or go up to one of the other tables. I want you to take communion. That's a way for you to say, Jesus Christ, just as this bread is going in me and this cup is, is going in me, which represents your, your, your body and your blood, which was shed for me on the cross to take care of my sin, same way that that's going in me, I want you to be in me. I want you to be in just like this sap. And you can do that for the first time today. For the first time, you could experience your first communion today. While you do that, just come over to someone else and just tell someone, you know what, today I took my first communion. First time that I've been a follower of Jesus Christ. Starting that relationship today. Those of you who for many years maybe have been a follower of Jesus. Today I want to invite you to do the same thing. I don't care if you're wayward. I don't care if you came here by accident. Or maybe you've been coming every week and you're just, everything's going great. It doesn't matter. This morning, are you going to take this the same way? Are you going to come and as you take this, you're going to take it saying, this is my nutrients. This is my, this is what comes into me. I'm acknowledging, I'm crossing a line today and saying, Jesus, I'm not just going to be about right living. I'm not just going to be about right thinking. I'm not even going to be about right motives. I want to be about you. I want the power of Christ to reside in me. There's two ordinances that we celebrate at Hope Community Church. One is the communion table, and the other is baptism. Baptismal is right behind me. And in our, in our tradition, we take people who have already made a profession of faith and we dunk them underneath the water. The reason we do that is to symbolize that you are in Christ. You are dipped into him, and that's why you're forgiven. You're in him. Communion symbolizes the exact opposite, that Christ is in you. So I invite you this morning, those who are followers of Jesus Christ, at any point during the worship, to come forward and to take from uh, this, this cup and this bread. You can rip off a piece and take a cup. You can sit here. You can pray with people. Uh, you can go and have a seat. We'd love to pray for every single person. If you're here and you just would love to come forward and just whisper under something to pray for you, or just say a general prayer, we'd like to pray for everyone. There'll be people scattered all over the place. At any time during the worship, you can come forward and receive communion. Let's pray together. Jesus, you are simply awesome. This analogy here is one that I pray in our hearts would not fall on deaf ears. That we would remember that you're the vine and we're the branches. You're the vine, we're the branches. You are the vine, we are the branches. So as a result, Lord, we desperately need you. You're not just an add-on in our life. You are our source. So Jesus, I pray that we'd be desperate for you the same way a branch is desperate for the, for the trunk, for the tree. Lord, I pray for people in this room, maybe for the first time today, they'll take their first communion. They want to set their hearts and want to set their life on your path. God, would you give them courage to do that? Would you give them courage to know that that's going to come at a cost, a huge cost? They're going to have to turn from things. They're going to have to let you come into their lives. 
They're going to have to turn from from behaviors that are are not pleasing to you. They're going to have to become students of your word. They're going to have to love people who are very hard to love. But God, it's so worth it. So I pray you give them courage today and repentance if necessary in every area of their life that needs to be repented of. God, I pray the exact same thing for people this morning who have been a follower of you for many years. Jesus, that you would grant us a gift, and that's a gift of turning away from other things that we're constantly trying to take our branch and plug it into. Those things that are not life-giving, whatever they are. They might even be good things, other people. I'm supposed to love other branches and stay connected to the vine. So Jesus, would you give us repentance from things that we've tried to plug into and that today we would be people who are just trying to get as much sap out of the vine as we possibly can. So Holy Spirit, by your work and by your work alone, we just invite you to come and minister each individually to every person who's here. You know them better than they know themselves and you just would communicate to them exactly what you want them to know and to hear and to do and to turn from and where to be encouraged and where to be challenged. Holy Spirit, you know. We ask that you'd come during this time and fill us. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.